0: Beep 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 You know, Sandy, I have to say, I heard a lot of horns in the last little bit, and the lowest horns—the ones that sound like someone's blowing a giant jug—they're the nicest. Um,
1: that's that is a weird opinion to share. The top of the show, but I mean, what is there like a state of emergency in your city or something?
0: No, there there's not a state of emergency in my city. Because my city, um, I guess. They- then what are you
1: complaining for? It's just <laughs> Ottawa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, what's going on in Quebec City? Tell me. I'm. I'm uh, really uh, interested in everything that's happening. Obviously, mm-hmm. watching from afar, uh, watching all of these videos from my hometown Toronto, watching all these videos from all over Canada. Uh, what's Quebec City been like? I
0: don't actually think I've seen any video or anything like that of Quebec City. Mm. Well, before I answer that question, I do want to identify the the folks in Ottawa have now been, I mean, by the time you're listening to this, it's like day 12, I guess. But we're recording on day nine of this siege. And so um, our nervous laughter is to not make fun at all of what folks downtown Ottawa are going no. through. So let's, you know. Not at all. Not at all. Um, however, I mean, we do have to make jokes. Um, I mean, we, you and I have to make jokes because otherwise this this show wouldn't exist. Um,
1: and as one of our fans pointed out to us on Twitter recently, we are under comedy in the Spotify podcast <laughs> playlist. So not even news. We we are required to make jokes for Spotify.
0: <laughs> you know, I was uh, in the middle of our truck protest. I was doing a, a live talk for, for students at McGill um, who are around the McGill Tribune. And the intro that they gave me was, you know, co-host of the hilarious podcast, Andy Nord Podcast. So I didn't even say her name right just there. But um, yeah, so we we, we do have to make some jokes. But that is not to say that we don't appreciate and you know, hear how, how fucking terrible things are in Ottawa. And we'll be talking about that, of course, I think a lot in this episode. Um, so Quebec City, uh, we had this very weird situation where um, the truck convoy, which is not the first time uh, the anti-mask or the pro-COVID folks have done something like this. Like they have had a couple of car protests in the past two years. Um, nothing as as big as what we saw this past weekend. Um, but they, uh, they started to come in on Thursday and the city... Um, they were like, yeah, so Carnival starts on Saturday and fuck you guys. And so they just parked the, you know, big heavy water trucks all around the downtown, blocking access from the protest site to the main site of Carnival. So like Bonhomme's Palace. <laughs> 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 and um, and it's ridiculous because literally between the protest and Bonhomme's car- uh, Palace is maybe 50 meters, maybe, probably less than that. And just three heavy trucks and they were like, you're not fucking, you know, you're not messing with Carnival. And I was there today and aside from hearing the trucks, um, but barely because Carnival's so loud and has its own fucking noise, uh, they they pulled it off. The city was like, we're not fucking going to be intimidated. And they organized properly and they managed the traffic and the, and the convoy left today uh, after they were all ticketed and saying, you know, you've got a notice of you must leave by tonight. And uh, they're coming back in two weeks, which is kind of great because it gives us uh, some time to organize for their return. But, um, you know, on one hand, it, I mean, it was it was infernal. Like I live as close as you can live to one of these things. And it was absolutely infernal. And it was making everybody lose their minds and pets and all this kind of stuff. No one likes it. Um, on the other hand, I mean, it was a real popular showing of of a kind of spirit that um, we have not seen during this pandemic. I mean, I mean, aside from the politics, it really had a festival vibe, and you could see that. You know, as we said last week, mass catharsis. That was really the the feeling, and so people were like high fiving all over the the street with each other, and and the smile. Every one of them had the fucking goofiest, biggest smile on their faces. It was it was very surreal and when you when for me like the way that i and like my family was only able to deal with it was like just to let it roll off of us because you could just get so angry by the by the horns um but you can see that there's there is a spirit driving people to be here that is far more nuanced i think than the way that it's being talked about online um, and I say that not to like justify why they're doing it or to say it was good, but just to help us kind of talk about this and understand this, so that we can develop the kind of response necessary to um, to under to meet, I guess, this kind of protest where it's at, because at the end of the day, and I said this last week, I mean, I personally don't think that one of the things the left should be doing is to try and prohibit this kind of activity because people no. have the right to gather. People have the right to protest and then the question is, how do we respond to these situations, not how do we try to ban hate symbols? <laughs> Thank you, federal NDP.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I know that like some people will have, will hear Nora saying that and respond with, but this isn't a protest because I've seen a lot of uh, discourse online about the rhetoric that's being used, which is, you know, Uh, That is a debate that can be had perhaps at some point. To me, what's really important for us to recognize is any institutional measures that are put in place now to try to hinder or stop uh, what is going on right now in Ottawa and across Canada will not actually hinder or stop (laughs) what is going on, but it will be used in the future to hinder and stop The people who are always hindered and stopped black folks and indigenous folks um, and uh, all of the protests and movements that truly critically challenge the white supremacist state, the capitalist state, so on. Whatever measures that we call for and put in place right now that isn't going to stop what's happening will be used in future against those people. So please, whether you think it should be called a protest or not, just keep that in mind, because any cursory read of history anywhere will tell you that that's true. But before we get into it all, because there's so much to Mm, get into. Oh, my God, there's so much. (laughs) I was like, why don't we? (laughs) Dying for this episode. (laughs) I know, I know. Why don't we thank the folks and then let's tell the people what's happening on Wednesday of this week and then let's get into it.
0: Okay. Oh my God. Wow. Okay. Uh, So this week, thank you so, so much. We had a lot of response to the last episode that we did and uh, some of that response was financial donations. And so thank you so super much to Angela, Elizabeth, Ella Jane, Alexandra, Michael, Josie, Ian Charles, a different Elizabeth, Alicia, Ryan, Lily, Stefan, and Eric. Thank you all so much. And to everybody who shared and commented and disagreed in some cases or totally agreed in other cases, we appreciate all of you. We appreciate that engagement. It's so important.
1: Yes, we do. So... In fact, we appreciate that engagement so much. <laughs> Nora and I were talking this week. We were talking this week. We were looking at the discourse. We were seeing some of the back and forth. The, do we have a counter protest? Do we not? What? How do we respond to this? What should we do? And we were like, uh, should we just have like a live organizing meeting? Should we just like get people together mm-hmm. and um, give the experience of what it would be like to try to figure some of this stuff out? And then we thought maybe we would do a live show that would serve as this show and then we thought no we have so much to say that we can't not do this show as well. So, we're going to have a live session of some kind on Wednesday at 5:30 pst, 8:30 est. For all the other STs, figure out yourselves in between. <laughs> <We're> Sorry. <around. laughs> I can't do that much math. <laughs> and you can join us and we're, we're going to have an interactive conversation uh, so that you can all be a part of this discussion. Because I think what is really critical at moments like these when there is so much disagreement and there is so much confusion What's really critical is just having it out, having the conversation, having the argument so that you figure out where you should land. And even if you're not landing exactly where everyone else around you is landing, at least you know, at least you can discern or distill down your arguments about why your strategy, your tactic, your response... Um, make sense to you, and why someone else's tactic or strategy or response makes sense to them. I mean, we don't all have to be on the same page, but I do think we all have to be in communication with each other. And there's a lot here to figure out. And, um, you know, some of it, I just don't want us to get lost in um, the traps uh, that are very easy to get lost
0: in. With something like this, totally, totally, and so I want to start by maybe um, a bit of a reflection on like how I see this moment, having had you know many years of experience in left wing movements, in radical movements, and seeing certain kinds of radical tactics be experimented with and be successful or been total failures, and how. It kind of occurred to me watching all of the kind of discussions um, play out online and I'm talking, you know, not actually all about Ottawa. I'm talking about a lot of how people in general have intervened, but obviously Ottawa looms the largest because it has the biggest problem right now. There's really no question. Although by the time you're listening, I fucking hope the city of Ottawa has found a fucking tow truck for you folks. Um, but you know who knows? We can't we can't predict the future. And and Jim Watson is um, just shockingly shockingly fucking terrible mayor. But we'll we'll mention this. But it occurred to me and Sandy, I'd love to hear what you think about this as well. But that the debates that we were having in the 2000s around radical tactics that were very divisive, that were difficult debates that people usually oriented themselves on one side or another. This kind of thing, like you know, I'm I'm more in favor of this kind of tactic or that kind of tactic. That there hasn't been the practice of continuing those kinds of debates. And so we are in a moment where there's a huge chunk of activists who've never had to go through the ringer of the difficulty of having a debate around something like diversity of tactics, which that might mean something to you. And that actually might mean nothing to you. (laughs) If it means nothing to you, then definitely pay attention. But for those of us who remember the, ta- the discussions about diversity of tactics, like, what does it look like when our, our, our movements welcome tactics that not all of us agree with or can participate in? And is there a place for them or should they be condemned? And I, I've just been, I feel like I've been plunged back right back into 2010 or 2009 watching a lot of the debates. And it is so interesting. It's so fascinating.
1: Yeah, um, I think you're on to something there for sure. Uh, I've seen, um, I think, you know, just to to make it clear, the example that you're giving of this uh, one thing to to be concerned about, like I have seen some of the calls to do a counter-protest and the responses that a counter-protest should not be held because it is unsafe and can make people uh, even more unsafe than they already are. And that discussion uh, seems to have, uh, for some people, led to complete demobilization. And that discussion should not end at like just a disagreement, and then everybody, nobody can do anything. That's certainly not, um, you know, in the history of these types of arguments happening. In the 2010s and also in the early aughts. And I want to be clear when I say complete demobilization, I, I don't mean that people aren't doing some uh, organizing stuff like that. You might be supporting one another through mutual aid and whatever. I am talking about like uh, mobilization, like getting out into the streets and facing these folks. It is that has been demobilized as a result of some of these discussions What I want to explain about what those discussions look like in the past was that there is always uh, an acknowledgement that protest is unsafe. One, generally protest is unsafe. Number two, that we try to make protest as safe as possible through our organizing uh, of the protest for as many people as possible. And... We also recognize that when when the protest or certain parts of the protest become more unsafe, we deliver that information to as many people as possible. And people have the opportunity to make a choice of whether or not they stay and whether or not they go. We used to have actually, you know, like this you know, red light, uh, green light kind of method of denoting um What type of protest it was, like what period of the protest we were in, so that people would, you know, whether they were identified themselves as someone who could be at the green part of part of a rally or the red part of an occupation of a highway or something like that, Um, people would know what was coming up. We're heading into a red part of this, of this uh, demonstration and they could leave. The danger in not having anything at all as a result of safety. It's further um, issues with safety down the road because the whole thing, this whole thing, of course, this whole thing is a test. It's a test. And whether or not the people who have organized these mobilizations meant it to be a test or not, it is a test. The people who have organized these mobilizations are not the same as all of the people who are attending them. The people who have organized them, I believe, know very clearly what they are doing and are very much attached to white supremacist movements and alt-right sensibilities and so on. That What is happening right now, with no counter-protest, sets the stage for the next time this happens. If people know that there will be no politician response, no effective politician response, no effective uh, response from community, and certainly the police aren't doing anything, what does the next one look like? (laughs) You have to think. And I mean, if we truly believe, and I do, and people who listen to this podcast should, if we truly believe we are entering into a new period of or are in a new period of fascist organizing, there must be response to fascist organizing. For all of us who like read those history books and t- talked to, you know, the common question in our classrooms, how did all of those people let this shit happen? <laughs> like, this is what it looks like. There has to be some sort of response. So have those debates about people feeling uh, a sense of, um, of threat to their safety. And then talk about how you're going to mitigate that, how you're going to protect those people and what at what point you say, okay, well, this like how how are we going to shift and organize as ourselves as best as possible so that there is a fucking response and we do the best that we can to keep people safe in this. Let's be real unsafe world.
0: Yeah, I have been thinking a lot of how liberalism has just so successfully framed this discussion. I think actually the two biggest influences on this discussion is liberalism. And and I mean, liberalism impacting all of us, like far left activists and socialists and communists and anarchists and also obviously social democrats uh, and liberals like big L liberals, um, or even, you know, progressive conservatives who are like not happy with what's happening. But liberalism is infecting all of us. And the other big force that's infecting all of us is social media. And so I'll talk about liberalism first, because I'm, I'm very curious to, to hear what you think about this as well, Sandy. But you know when 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 Jim Watson, who I mean, he just exposed himself as like the the probably the the least talented, least qualified fucking guy for his job in the entire city of Ottawa. He's the mayor. Um, he has has demonstrated that he's got no capacity to do fucking anything, right? Like, I mean, Quebec City, the mayor had no problem towing tow trucks or towing cars, co- towing trucks, towing. These guys to get out of our city and saying you're not fucking welcome and we're going to do everything possible to get you the fuck out of here. And they did. I don't think that my mayor is any fucking less racist than the mayor of Ottawa. I think that there is just a total systems failure. And at the same time, aiding that failure is this obsession with talking about how dangerous these guys are. And it's like. They're dangerous, but, like, Sandy, what is the strategic purpose of insisting that these guys are out to murder people, which I've seen a lot of um, on in the last week, and I've been very concerned about it because I think that when we're like when we look at the way that liberalism makes us think of safety and community and all this stuff it it automatically boils it down to the individual who is unsafe i am personally unsafe for all of these reasons and all of a sudden you're like whoa okay yeah that person's violent and you're unsafe and all this stuff but when you start to actually get rid of the individual frame and say wait a minute these communities like they're not gonna fucking murder 20 of us if we show up a hundred of us like they're just not going to they're they're not murderers like the far right murders their family members they murder in complete stochastic terrorism they don't they don't they don't carry out violence in the way that I saw Jim Watson talking about it because he was like well if we intervene they'll become more violent right he was saying this uh, to the news on January 31st and it was like this is exactly the line that that a liberal would use because it justifies the complete inaction because these guys are so scary that any provocation will justify their use of violence. Like this is the this is the the, the logic behind this. And so I don't expect liberals to like. I, I mean, I expect liberals to to use that kind of language. But I was very disappointed to see how many like left wing people. That was the thing that I think the biggest criticism that I saw like that I personally received last week was like, how dare you downplay the violence. And it's like, what purpose does upplaying the violence do? Like, you, you don't keep someone safe by saying that guy's going to fu- gonna kill you or that guy's going to bash your head in. That doesn't keep someone safe. You keep someone safe by doing all of the other things that activists are doing, by, you know, helping each other out and mutual aid and, and, and whatever. But like, I, it's just like, it's so interesting to see how entitled these guys are. They walk into a city and they're like, yeah, this is our fucking city now. And it's like, can the left be like a little bit entitled to be like, no, get the fuck out of our city. This is our city. This isn't your city. And I don't know, maybe that kind of attitude is is somewhere, but it's also not an attitude that's going to be even. Like people will come to that attitude differently and at different times based on their temperament or their social location or whatever. And I wish that there was like a channel for people who are there to be able to express that and then to allow other people to make their way towards that, like that entitlement that this is my fucking city. Like you will not do this to my fucking city. You will not do this to my friends. You will not do this to my community. There was this conversation held uh, with like thousands of residents in the city of Ottawa and, and, after 2 hours of discussion about what what to be done i mean this was not left wing people i don't i don't think i mean i i i think that they were pretty solidly liberals like big L liberals but at the end of the conversation there was like well we're better than them and as long as we continue to be kind and help each other we're going to win and i've heard that kind of message from people who are on the on the on the left like the real left and i I don't I don't I don't know where that's coming from because it's like it's yeah of course we're, we're better obviously we're fucking better than them but I I don't think that looking at it in that way is going to deliver us into any strategic location that's going to confront them I, and instead I I'm, I'm a little bit more worried that that's actually a, a demobilizing line because it doesn't bring that entitlement back into no no get the fuck out of my neighborhood get the fuck off my street get the fuck out of my community you have no right to be here
1: I think that perhaps Um, the majority of people who are having this discussion on social media have maybe never been a part of a days long protest, like a very, very long protest where you have to kind of sustain energy. It's actually, it's not easy to, for the organizers to sustain energy, but if done correctly, it should be easy for everyone else, <laughs> everyone else who's there. Mm. I, if you have never been a part of a protest, if you've never been a part of like in a large occupation or something like this, like I need to explain to you what it feels like, because I've seen both with this situation and also with the, um, Now that it's been a year and some since January 6th, there's been a whole bunch of retrospectives of like what really happened there? What were these people thinking? Blah, blah, blah. And trying to understand. And I I've listened to so many um, like documentaries or radio documentaries and and read some um, news analysis and none of it really quite gets it. I don't think. Um, and I think that's just because of the um, lack of experience of the people who are doing the question asking. Oh, like journalists don't get protest. <laughs> yeah. Journalists don't understand protest. <laughs> Nora, do you remember the, like the first time you felt like fucking elated at a rally or elated at some sort of protest? Yes. Yes, definitely. Did you know what was going on? Did, were you planning it? Did, were you just like, uh, I'm making the decision to put my my foot in front of my last foot and moving towards wherever you were moving toward? Like did you know what was going on?
0: <laughs> no. Um, uh, I guess, I mean, I was involved with anti-war um stuff when I was really, really young, and no, i didn't I didn't really get what was going on because I wasn't an organizer. Um, but I do this one moment of like pure elation that I, that I recall very clearly where I was an organizer and you probably were in the crowd. I don't know where you would have been. So I don't know if you would have been near me, but in 2008, there was a day of action. It was one of the biggest day of actions that we were able to organize in Toronto with, with the student movement. And, It was the day after Obama had been elected. And so it just felt like this really electric moment of, holy fuck, like that was possible, is possible. It just happened. And do you remember how the students in the crowd charged towards the gates at Queen's Park? (laughs) I do. I do. So – I remember – and I I was crushed against the gates. And again, I was an organizer. So I was like – I mean I was just like, fuck, it's working. Oh, my God. It also was like a very warm day. So it was a November day but for some reason it was 18 degrees – well, for some reason global warming. It was 18 degrees and so it was this beautifully warm day. And I was being crushed against the grills and there were all of these like young women, like probably 17 and 18 years old, looking like they were from a fucking beauty catalog or something. I mean, look, I don't even know how to fucking talk about people like I'm in the 1950s. And they <laughs> were chanting, like, like, let us in to Queen's Park. And I I actually thought I'm like, "Whoa, they're actually going to go in like, holy fuck. And I think they were from like York. And I knew the organizers up at York were doing really broad based organizing. And so, yeah, I like they were not organizers and they were so ready to storm parliament, it, storm the legislative assembly. And I was like, holy fuck, like, this is amazing. Look, look at this, look at them and look at what we're doing and look at the power that they feel that they have.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, that's how it works, man. Like, I (laughs) fuck, I remember I remember um, some of my first rallies after first being introduced to like what organizing really looked like. And I remember attending uh, in, what, 2004, maybe 2005, uh, some sort of education coalition meeting. And there were what, like, I don't know, 10 people in the room. And they were talking about this big rally they were going to have the next week. And I was like, y'all can't have a big rally. There's only 10 of you here. (laughs) I was just like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> That's all you need is 10 people to know what's going to happen. And you can organize a sit in at, co- at the corner of college and university and make it happen with people who never knew, including, and I'm including myself in this. I had no idea that I was going to do a sit in at college and university the first time I did a sit in at college and university. But it's electric. You're in this crowd and you're just like, oh my God, it's working. I can now all of a sudden express frustration that I thought that I was experiencing in isolation. Now, like, think about that. That is something that we should all understand on the left, right? Collectivity versus isolation. It's like the difference between liberalism and fighting against a, uh, a state that wants to make us all feel alone you come together with people and all of a sudden for the first time for many of these people who are in these crowds absolutely it's going to be their first time they're thinking wow i can i am not experiencing this frustration alone there are other people out here who are experiencing this frustration i thought that maybe i would come here and just try a thing but look look at how intense everybody is we could maybe actually Do something. The first time that you're in a crowd like that and you realize that you're all together on something, whether it's ending tuition fees, getting rid of student debt, stopping anti-black racism, defunding the police or whatever, you know, like, what is this? Uh, What are they calling for? The dissolution of parliament (laughs) as as a (laughs) which
0: is like, yeah, which I support. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, which is like real,
1: (laughs) which is a response to what? Like really fucked up policies that are impacting us all through the pandemic, the failure of government. But of course, as we said last week, what is happening is that the alt-right and white supremacists have capitalized on that in the, in the, the dearth of organizing that the left has been doing to, to have people have a, a moment, a way to express that. So now you're in a crowd for the first time experiencing thousands of people around you raising their voice in chorus. It is electrifying. It is, it's, uh, it's addictive. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it feels, it, you don't know what's happening, but you will follow along. If you have ethical protest organizers who are going to say, hey, we're about to do something dangerous, just letting you know, that's something we often do on the left where we're warning people about what's happening next so that they can make decisions for themselves. It, like, I will tell you right now, um, as a BLM organizer, that when we took over Allen Road, when we did Tent City, in both of those cases, I think for Allen Road, maybe 20 people knew in that thousands, you know, thousands strong protest, maybe 20 people knew that we were planning to take over Allen Road. In the tent city protest that we did by the police station, I think it was like five to 10, definitely Mm -hmm. less, way, way less. And to sustain (laughs) it and we sustained it for over two weeks to sustain it for over two weeks. We just didn't need that many people. We, you don't need that many people people the feeling that you feel of we can do something to shift how we are experiencing the world and the injustice that we're feeling and when you're when you're experiencing that uh, amongst a collective of people, those people aren't necessarily making the decisions about what happens next. they are a part of a groundswell of a movement, a mobilization. And it is those people who you are mostly talking about when you're referencing murderers like Nora just spoke about. Like, and we have to think about that. And when we're talking about these people as awful and dangerous and terrible, they, these are opportunities for these people to become that. As the organizers of of these things are going to be in direct communication with those people and giving them like, oh, hey, you think this is cool? Let me tell you about what we're doing about this problem. Have you known that this problem is actually the fault of these people? Now that you understand that this is like what we're doing here, bringing down parliament, blaming, you know, whatever we're going to blame. Um, on this particular issue, let me tell you about that mm. particular issue. And if we don't interrupt that, if we don't interrupt that, we have a serious problem on our hands. We should have been the ones doing it.
0: Sorry. Well, and this this is it, right? Every single day that it goes on in any part of this country is an extra day of education, access, and, uh, I mean, brainwashing, frankly, of these far right ideals and it, again it is that community building that everyone is seeking out that is so desperately needed right now and so i mean i guess the real question is like what is what is safety and what is danger and what harm is caused when let's say an, an event is not well organized like if a bunch of white guys go put themselves in front of a truck and start yelling at the truck drivers I don't I don't see the harm in that other than potentially to themselves. And I've seen a lot of like things being collapsed. And this is where the social media side of things really kicks in. It's a huge problem. Like this is nuanced. And the contradictions that are inherent in left wing organizing um, are becoming very very difficult to ignore, and normally they are easy to ignore because we either organize in very specific ways, or you know, defund the police is a really great example. How many of these progressive city councilors who are fucking begging the cops to fucking come to their city right now, uh, and, and that's in cities all across Canada, expressed support for some kind of defunding the police, right? Like that during the 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 height of the defund the police campaign, no problem because the contradictions were not being forced to the center. Now the contradictions are being Forced to the to the center and then of course you're seeing what that delivers that delivers some very confused fucking politicians who are now begging for the police to fucking save them but the contradictions are are, are now something that we have to face and like if there's people who are ready and willing to confront this convoy their confrontation is not gonna make the convoy more dangerous and I think that this is probably the most controversial thing that I'll say tonight I don't know I don't know maybe not maybe there'll be something else that'll come out but in the in the in the in the binary discussions of social media where things are either dangerous or safe or racist or not racist or um whatever um there's not really any space to talk about or not there's any space I mean we 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 can create the space but it's very very difficult because of the way that the platforms like force us to engage with one another but like No counter protest is going to make these guys more dangerous than them sitting together in a fucking sauna that they've put up in the middle of a fucking street outside of the House of Commons where they all sit inside of it for, 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 for three hours. That will radicalize them far fucking more than anybody trying to stage some sort of counter protest, regardless of how poorly organized it might be. Even if it's a complete disaster, that will still not elicit more danger than... The time that they're spending right now, educating, building, strategizing, commiserating, creating downward spirals into, oh, yeah, well, now we can do this. Oh, yeah, now I've done that. Now we're going to do this. I mean, you know, we just saw that there were fire starting bricks uh, thrown into a a residential building, right, like ostensibly to start a fire. It's not surprising this is happening at day nine, like not at all surprising this is happening at day nine. And every single minute that passes that they're still organizing with each other in this space, it becomes – far more dangerous. Um, I want to talk about this cop shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, I like
1: (laughs) how quickly, how quickly, how quickly we devolve into, oh, my God, throw the cops (laughs) at them. I have seen folks who are you know, on the left, who have been supportive of defund movements, supportive of e- abolitionist um, approaches to safety online, really get stuck here and not know what to do and what to call for, and are some are making the comparisons between uh, what has happened to uh, Black organizers in the city of Ottawa at uh, the Black Diaspora Coalition, most notably. Um, uh who were there was like 12 arrests at one of their protests in 2020 um And of course, not nearly the same sort of response here. And of course, Chief Peter Slowly, the police chief in Ottawa, has said there may not be a police solution (laughs) to this, which is just like, you know, many of you retweeted that. It's like, obviously, there (laughs) is never a police solution (laughs) to to these sorts of things. It's like, okay, now you can see like the police are about a facade of safety and really um, about controlling particular communities. Don't just fall back on police. Whenever you get the inclination that it like this is the police and it's the police's fault and we need to or it's the police's role and we need to get the police, I don't know, to triple their funding so that the next time some trucks roll through Ottawa, they can do something about it. You know, think deeply, always, always, always when we're told that police are the answer and it seems reasonable. It's always, always, always a Band-Aid for something the fuck else that is being failed, that we have been failed as a society with. And it's like, let's think about what that could be in this case. If all the police, if if we had some sort of magical force um, that would move in as though everyone who's on the street right now was black or indigenous, would that stop people from being frustrated about uh, pandemic uh, policies that don't make any sense and needing a way to express that. No, it wouldn't. (laughs) It just, it wouldn't solve that. Police themselves and their engagements in these sorts of things can be radicalizing tools on their own.
0: Yeah, absolutely they can. I mean, uh, you know, when, you're, when your camp is busted up by the people who live there because you're harassing them and you're making their lives hell, that has a different impact than if your camp is busted up by the cops. Because as much as we are saying that this is a group that is you know, with the cops and working with the cops and the cops are letting them do whatever they want because they support them, which is definitely true. But what is also true is there's a lot of folks in this crowd who are anti-police. Um, and like when the chief of police is like, whoa, we can't get in there because we're like worried that they'll be violent – He's literally just playing into the narrative of this group being violent to justify police inaction. But it is not as if police action is going to make this go, go away, as as you said. The funny thing about this moment, um, and and so many people not having experience experiences with similar moments or similar debates in the past is that there's this, there's a, a clear, very natural and normal desire to try and do things perfectly and to do, try and do things the way that they've been done before, like, you know, very well organized, very well thought out, people having legal support and all this kind of stuff. And I, I think that we really need to reflect really hardly on the fact that it is not possible to do things perfectly all the time. And that in a city, in any city, Uh, especially in a city of like almost a million people or more than a million people or less than a million people like my city, uh, there's going to be a lot of different kinds of people doing a lot of different kinds of things. And you see that very clearly. I mean, the the liberals who are like, whoa, just be nice, we'll be fine. Like, you know, just call on the cops for help. They're, They're intervening. Those are interventions in this discussion. Them, I mean, the number of, of big L liberals who I have saw condemning doing anything to provoke the crowd and even to say it like that, like to provoke the crowd. It's like, no, you're taking back your city. You're not fucking provoking the crowd. Um, I think has very, very disorient. It has been very disorienting, but that is their intervention. Um, and I think on the left, we have to be very careful to not denounce other people's interventions if we're not in agreement with them. like. Let them do their thing. If you're not in agreement with it, you don't have to endorse it. You don't have to tell. It. In fact, you can tell your people to not go. But, but I mean, very concerning, uh, you know, uh, approach that I saw a lot of um, in the past week was this like, it's not being organized properly, a counter protest. Therefore, it's been canceled. And that whole discussion created more danger, frankly, for people who were counter protesting and was just so unhelpful. And, you know, I, I, like, I don't want to litigate things that have happened already, but in, in the in the spirit of looking forward, right, because all of our cities are probably going to have these experiences again and, you know, as again, maybe Ottawa is still under under a siege by the time this is out. Um, but we have to be very, um, I think, generous with allowing people to try things and to make mistakes, uh, recognizing that, you know, no one has... No one has a monopoly on activism, and none of us have all of the answers, and none of us have the best ideas all the time. Even if you know there are definitely groups out there that have better ideas for sure, um, and so we have to find a way to be comfortable with that, with this, with a fighting spirit, and and I think that this is this is something that we really can learn from the convoy, is that there's a fighting spirit of of fucking rage against Justin Trudeau, which is an anger. That the left should have a million fucking times of. And we have not manifested that anger in anything. Like, we just haven't. Like, of course, there's people fighting back in different ways. We're doing what we can. And we're all super tired and we're, you know, it's hard or whatever. But, the way that they're fighting against something that is not tied to a legislative agenda, so it's not calling for, like, paid sick days or against this bill or against that bill or for Jason Kennedy to fucking stop sucking, which is, I mean, impossible. The guy is, like, fucking got suck DNA, like, all over his fucking disgusting body. And instead, look Yikes. at – I mean, I don't know. I just – I couldn't stop. I was just going in a direction. Um <laughs> <laughs> and to instead untie our demands from the legislative as- as- uh, agenda of any fucking government, untie our demands from a party, untie our demands from what the fuck politicians are doing, and be like, no, actually, fuck you, Justin Trudeau. You literally have let this number of people die in this country, uh, and and I think that that's a really important lesson because we're, we're not oriented in that way. Like the the, the bureaucratic left certainly is one hundred percent oriented towards. Uh, policies, um, and then the rest of the left is either divided between, not divided in a you know malicious way, but just separated between um, saving people's lives and, and and service provision and getting people to survive the crisis. Uh, or um, doing things like climate activism, which is not necessarily responding to an agenda. So that's that's very good. It's a, it's a really good example of like how we can be calling for broader change with a with um, a perspective that goes beyond a legislative cycle or, or a certain party or a certain government. But beyond that, there's not really any project that seeks to capture people's imagination, give them the words and the tools that they need to be able to fight against these things and to fight like hell against them. Like the fact that this fucking convoy is the biggest mass expression of rage in the course of this pandemic, because somehow the left has been saddled with, well, we support the public health measures and therefore we have to do everything we can to, to promote them and tell people to follow them. It's very fucking bizarre, actually, if you think about it in that way. And, you know, I was out this morning. um, I was out at a hotel. I I mean, I was out at Carnival and we were trying to get a bite to eat after. And so we went to a restaurant that is uh, basically in the hotel that a lot of the fucking truck convoy people are staying at. Um, and aside from being able to, like, boot an American flag pretty fucking far across the lobby of the hotel, <laughs> which is pretty nice and, you know, like, oh, sorry, I just got fog in my glasses, couldn't see your fucking shitty flag there. Um, There were people eating among us who were in the convoy. And that means they're all double vaxxed, right? And so it's just like... How, like, where is the rage? Where's the outward expression of the rage? Why are we swallowing our rage? I mean, I said this last week, why are we swallowing our rage? Why are, we, why, are we, why are we unable to fucking get into the street and be fucking furious outside of something that's related to legislative policy or very specific demands like closing schools or opening schools or whatever? Like, we have to, we have to remove ourselves from this. And I really, really want people to reflect on what that looks like, what that could look like for the left, because that's going to be something that we actually haven't really seen in a long time. In Canada, because the left is very reactive to the, the the shocks and the and the movements of politicians and political uh, uh, policy in this country.
1: I really, really love that you talked about. Um doing things that may not feel perfect or like that you know we're never going to be perfect uh, before we take some sort of action which is like of course we're not if if we knew the perfect way to respond to all of these uh, oppressive hegemonic forces then we probably would have done it already and one and we would be talking to you from um, post revolution world. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, <laughs> but we don't, we haven't uh, done that. We don't know it. And so Nora and I have uh, another episode, an earlier episode that we, I think we called it critiquing critique. Yeah. And I think it's, it's kind of like what we're talking about here. Like if, if someone points out like a a deficit in your approach, whether it's your approach to Um, some racist situation that's just like generally in your life or to this. It's like, great, you should be able to learn from that deficit, but still continue the thing that you need to do. Still continue to address the thing that you need to do. If you can't address the deficit and it's just there for you to know about, then it's there for you to know about. You mitigate as much as you can and you continue to do the thing that you need to do. Because the thing that we need to do is to fight this fascist, this careening fascist organizing that is happening across the Western world and beyond, actually. We need to fight that. And if it's not going to be perfect, people are going to be hurt. That is the case. It's not going to be easy. It is not meant to be easy. It is going to be fucking hard. And we have to do all of that, despite those realities. Nora, we should, should we talk about Aaron O'Toole and the twerp that might be oh our next God. prime minister? I mean, gosh, there was a lot
0: of news this week, Nora. There was a lot. Oh, I know. Well, I, I don't know how much there is to say other than I know that some people... Instantly... And also,
1: sorry, you earlier referenced that you wanted to talk about social media, and I don't know that you actually did yet.
0: I know. And I talked about it a little bit, but I mean, that might be something for the for the live show. But I mean, OK, so there's a couple of things. Fuck. Uh, One, um, a lot of people were confused or unsure about the comments that I'm not sure which one of us made last week. Uh, I'll pull a global news and say uh, the podcast host said that this convoy will help (laughs) Justin Trudeau more than anyone else. I think that we need to keep that in mind in a very fucking intense way. This convoy, the inaction in Ottawa, the total collapse of the fucking city of Ottawa and the Ottawa police and fucking Justin Trudeau all helps Justin Trudeau more than anyone else. And Aaron O'Toole being shivved this past week is fucking... Fucking evidence of that. Number two, mm-hmm. w- w- based on what you just said, I mean, jumping off of what, what you just said um, about critiquing critique, the, the number of people that said to me this past week, Nora, you don't live here. You don't understand. You have nothing to say. It's like, first of all, fuck you. <laughs> like, oh, I don't live in Ottawa. Oh, my God. Wow. I thought this was Ottawa. Like, oh, OK, <laughs> fuck off. Like if you live through a crisis and you're and you're a progressive person, here's a fucking tip get a Rolodex of people who live outside of your city or your town or your region who you can call on a fucking pinch for help for ideas for outside perspective that is critical that is left wing organizing okay no no person in Ottawa is expected to have all of the fucking answers considering what you folks are living in, in in right now and I'm not saying you have to call me fuck like you can call I mean I gave some people some ideas of other people that they can call call for help there's people that want to help you and there will be I'm sure you don't feel safe confronting these folks fucking munch. Montreal is not that far away and Toronto is not that far away either. And neither is Quebec city call in for help. And, and people will do that for you. And m- they might even do it for you without you having to think about what the fucking logistics are. So that's always on the table. Number three, I had a couple of people tell me, um, you know, if, okay. So you disagree with this idea of canceling or calling for the counter protest to be canceled. You must trust in the seasoned activists who made this call. Look, There's nothing fucking about trust in this discussion, okay? Seasoned activists, uh, and I am one of them, make mistakes, make the wrong call, make the right call. And sometimes other seasoned activists are like, ooh, I disagree with that call. And you have a debate. You do not demand full fucking support for people's decisions because they're seasoned activists or they're whatever. Like, (laughs) we have to be able to debate one another. And if, if you think or if you see someone on the same side as you, like generally speaking, and your first reaction to say, you have no right to say this. You must trust the decisions, like trust local autonomy, all this kind of stuff, rather than, oh, like, let's have a discussion. You're making a mistake. And this is maybe the fourth point, which is the social media part. These platforms don't want us to have nuanced discussion and fuck the number of people who responded to me when I was like let's like be very strategic about insisting that these people are dangerous because that gives them power the number of people who respond to me say nor you want people to die was like okay fucking relax everybody that is obviously not what the fuck I'm saying and what what is necessary to be said is okay what is the strategic purpose of scaring people like, honestly, what is the strategic purpose of giving those folks power by saying that they're dangerous and by scaring people in the in the in the response? Is it to make sure people don't go outside? Is it to make sure that people ask for help or is it like, you know, or is that the limit? And then the then the strategic danger, of course, is to overplay how dangerous they are. And they're like, fuck, yeah, they think we're fucking dangerous or, oh, my God, they're trying to demon us into being like Satan. And look, I brought my fucking family and it's safe. And we're barbecuing. And all, you see all these propane tanks. You guys think they're going to be for bombs. We got 17 barbecues out here. What the fuck you think we're going to power them? with? You know, like. We have to be strategic, and if we can be strategic in good faith, we will come up with better collective responses, Um, which is to not say anything about uh, Aaron O'Toole. So, Sandy, I don't know. What do you think about uh, O'Toole and – uh, social media and where everything is where everything's left
1: <laughs> I don't want to say anything about O'Toole because I keep forgetting his name
0: um every
1: time every time we do this podcast everyone just so you know like whenever I want to say Aaron O'Toole I say Ernie Eves <laughs> and I don't know why it's just he's so unmemorable but in any case um I I don't want to talk about him anymore. What I do want to talk about is, and I know we're getting a little long. Of course, this episode is going to be a little bit longer um, than our typical episode. But I want people to understand what Nora is saying when she says be strategic. It's like, you're probably thinking to yourself, I'm just out here having discussions on the Twitter box. What do you mean be strategic? You want me to think deeply about all of the things that I'm saying and how it's going to impact people before I get onto the Twitter box. How dare Nora, who tweets every two seconds, tell me to do that? How dare she? <laughs> um, I'm going to say, yeah, that's exactly how you should be thinking about using Twitter. Because as Nora referenced at the beginning of the show, we have been through these debates before. We know what these debates look like when there isn't this expectation that your thoughts on the debates and the thoughts of the people who are responding to you in the debates are going to be seen by an unlimited audience. Twitter is not a neutral platform for debate. It is not. It is not a neutral platform for critique. And it promotes conflict among people. And so even if, even if, I don't know, call them seasoned activists, call them the, the true community of Ottawa, whomever, do would actually coalesce around an idea, Twitter is not going to show you that because it's not how Twitter works. That is not Twitter is not a place for you to do discourse, for you to do. Um, this sort of really constructive critique and debate in building the left. It's not. I, I, I don't know how to um, to to implore people to really, really, really understand that because it is shifting the terms of our debate. If, you know, like the, the difference between these debates and experiencing them live at a, at a like a at a, a post-secondary education institution gym or um, at some community center fucking lobby, you know, like that experience is so much different than what's happening online right now where it's like who can say the pithiest thing, the pithiest critique of this idea that can be shared a thousand million whatever times. These public discussions are not neutral. If you are sharing something on Twitter, you are sharing it with the world and you should be thinking strategically about how you talk about it. One other thing that I want to say is who we have this episode that I also want you to go back and listen to kind of that talks about these kind of activist scripts that we have and how these activist scripts are often used to demobilize, when they should be used to uh, help us to understand a situation. They're like shorthand that should help us to understand a situation, but isn't like dogma and sacrosanct. And so when you have something like, gosh, if we are talking about um, the city of Ottawa, the solution should come from city of Ottawa residents. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. That does not mean that no one else has something to contribute. When we talk about knowledges and like lived experience being an important type of knowledge, like if you are, um, if you have a lived experience of being black and interacting with the police, that gives you a particular knowledge that is often discounted. And so on the left, we've talked about how, you know, lived experience is a really important type of knowledge. That does not mean that someone who is like studied the police and knows like all the statistics and ways in which um, uh, the police in a in a really methodical way are uh, very dangerous uh, institutions that target institutions of colonialism that target indigenous and black people and in, uh, institutions of capitalism that um, that protect the wealthy and harm the poor Um that, that does not mean that that person has nothing to contribute. In fact, that's another type of knowledge that is also important to the discussion. We should all be using as many knowledges as possible to have the debate that we need to have in order to figure out what it is that we're supposed to do about any sort of situation of oppression that we seek to mm. respond to
0: I want to just end this episode if we're there I'm not sure maybe we've got more to say but um I want to end this I guess my part <laughs> maybe but Sandy please continue um, with with mentioning one of the most amazing actions that I was part of that Sandy was part of and uh, I, I don't know twenty five thousand other people were part of it um, and you know I had nothing to do with it I was just in the crowd but I've been thinking a lot about safety and um, and a community coming together and doing something that just seemed completely unthinkable. And that was in 2009, when the Tamil community closed the Gardner Expressway in Toronto. So the Gardner Expressway in Toronto is a f- major highway. I mean, the Allen Road, um, And any time that Sandy talks about the Allen, uh, I mean, Sandy, you don't usually stop to explain what kind of place the Allen really is. I mean, it's called the Allen Road, but it's it's a highway. I'm sorry.
1: I'm <laughs> the worst. I I am from Toronto and I accept all of the Toronto hate that might be coming my way from across the country. I apologize.
0: Yeah, so so BLM's uh, taking of the Allen was impressive um, not just cuz it was a random road but because it was the Allen. <laughs> but the the Gardner Expressway is uh, even bigger than the Allen uh, partly because it's a thoroughfare. So um, at this point where the, the 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 protesters took it over, I mean it was just like a, a highway, like fucking full on a highway. And there enough people to take this highway over and occupy it for seven or eight hours. Uh, It was amazing. And if you want to talk about a moment where there was like smiles on everyone's faces and people ordering pizza to the fucking highway and a party atmosphere, even though um, what we were talking about was not at all fun, you know, talk about the genocide in Tamil Elam. And that for me was like, just the moment where I realized like, you know, you get that many people together and you can do anything, Mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. And that's not many people. I mean, 25,000 people is a lot of people, but it's, it really isn't that many people. I mean, I've been in many protests that have been bigger than that actually since. And that's the kind of numbers that's, that's the kind of numbers that, that you get only when people are hit, are driven to a certain breaking point. And, you know, that was not the first action that was after I think they had a, a rally every week of of massive proportions at Queen's Park until it culminated into the in this in May in May 20 uh, 2009. But like if we're going to be serious about getting these fucking convoys out of our cities, uh, it's going to take that it's going to take citizen power in, in such a massive number that. Uh, that the first of all, the convoy is no longer fun because they're like, oh fuck, people don't like us, right? They're they're humans. They're gonna see that. They'll sense there's like some tension, um, and that that too, you know, you actually make it impossible for 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 trucks or whatever to dig in in that way. And then you of course force your city to take it seriously if they have the capacity to, which you know maybe Watson doesn't have the capacity to at all. But that that's what it takes. And the danger, the level of danger in that fucking action. I mean, it's just it's it boggles my mind how. We went from the, the road below to up the on-ramp onto the Gardener, and no one was injured and the risk was tremendous, especially for those first people running onto the, onto the highway. And, um, and so shout out to everybody who listens to this podcast who was there or who was influenced by that event. But that, I mean, folks should definitely like look up that action if you've never heard about that before.
1: Yeah, that action really was um, something else. I learned a lot that day uh, uh, being there as well. And yeah, I just, you know, it's just so instructive what those organizers did. Like there's a lot we can learn from the Tamil organizers who were so fierce in um, their uh, determination to have canada do something about the genocide that was occurring um, back home and i remember i mean we were organizing even on the highway about who who is the most unsafe here who is the most safe there are children here should we reorganize ourselves so the people who have the least to lose are at the front And that is what we did. We reorganized things so that the people who had the quickest access to off the highway were the people who uh, were perhaps the most unsafe. People who were feeling a little bit less safe generally. Like there were, I remember I brought like a couple of cameras so that I could just give it to people. Who may want it Who would maybe want to say that they were journalists because they were feeling nervous about what was going on? Um, and we we did we reorganized it. We had we had it so that like all of the white supporters were really at the front, and so the arrests that happened that night, uh, many of them were of uh, of uh, white organizers who were trying to support. Um, they also did arrest uh, Tamil organizers as well, but we did. In the crowd, we negotiated with one another and talked to one another about how we were going to continue to process the action that we had created because it started during the daytime and it went right into night. And I think by the time that it ended, it was like, you know, it had gone from 25,000 people to like, what, maybe, Maybe a thousand, maybe five hundred. You know, it did peter out, and we had to figure out how to keep ourselves safe. And um, yes, I, like I said, there was a, a couple of arrests that night, but the, I think there was it was like four. The majority of oh, it was so few, it yeah, was so few, and we were able to keep people safe because we were continually negotiating and debating with one another. And when I say debating, I literally mean debates. There were debates about how to respond to the police who were trying to antagonize the people who were there. It was like there was I remember a moment of being like, everybody sit down, everybody sit down. Not me, sorry, like somebody uh, calling everybody sit down to calm the crowd so that we could have a discussion about what it was that we were going to do next. When the police were demanding this or the police were um, uh, intimidating somebody else, it was really I mean, and that's what it looks like. I mean, that's what the debate should look like. It's not. It's not gotcha statements on Twitter. It can happen in the moment. And I've also been seeing... One final thing. I know we have to stop. This is like our longest episode <laughs> ever. And we'll talk more about all of this stuff on on Wednesday. But I have also been seeing like, hey, folks, you can't just go out there and respond in a counter protest that's not organized. You must meticulously organize it first. It's like, yeah, maybe do what you can with what you've got. If you don't have something meticulously organized, but you got a lot of people who want to show up. Have them fucking show up. Just go, go, do what you can and organize on the way. I've told this story so many times. The tent city that we did in front of the police station, it was supposed to be in front of Nathan Phillips Square and it was (laughs) supposed to last 12 hours. It lasted over two weeks and it was in front of the police station. How? Because we kept organizing once we got there. We had meticulously organized something. It didn't work out because guess what? It never works out. It never fucking works out. You're dealing with crowds of people. Nothing is going to go the way you want it to go. So you better just do it. It is mm-hmm. important that we organize um, proactively. Absolutely. It is also important that we mobilize reactively. We've got to do both. We've got to do both so that when um, the government is fucking up, we can coalesce the rage that people feel into uh, a left wing understanding of our current situation. And we have to react so that when the next time the fascists are like, hey, remember last time that shit was easy as fuck. Let's start, you know, doing something even more intense, even more violent um, and encouraging the folks who will just follow to do that with us. We've got to do both. And we can. We can.
0: Yeah. And I'm actually one last thing, and maybe you'll jump in with something else after this. But I I also want to say, like, there's a whole episode that we I don't know, maybe we can do on the fact that the lack of left wing commentary and analysis in the mainstream media is what has delivered this as well. Like, there has been no mass platform for left wing thought to actually help some of this rage be directed to the correct location, right? Like, Ah, I'm going to leave that there because there's so much to say about it. But it's like, again, this helps the Liberals. This is part of their plan. (laughs) Like whether or not it's like fully orchestrated or they're just like, well, we know Jim Watson's a fucking dumbass. So like, let's just let him do his thing and we'll like take up all the votes for uh, when the Conservatives collapse. And I mean, we also should have a conversation about whether or not the Conservative Party can even exist in uh, its current formation or if it needs to divide. But anyway, I...
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. There's just too much. But I'm telling you right now, I do not want that twerp to be prime minister.
0: (laughs) Oh, Polyev? Poil ever? No, no, he won't be. He won't be. I mean, okay, we'll talk about that maybe next week. What?
1: Okay, whatever. Everyone, we will see you on Wednesday. We hope. Stay tuned for all of the details there. Sorry this episode is so long, but it was necessary.